0: Alam Tarak ala Rabbuka bi Ashab al calls attention to several points, some of them quite direct and some of them indirect. But focus on the various layers of meaning would easily lead you to these points. One of the most salient issues is Allah's interactive involvement in Surah al Fi. This is a surah we talked about last time. Interactive involvement and then calling upon you to bear witness to this involvement. that It says that Allah did X, Y, and Z in response allah took their cage took took their devious plots and reacted to them responded to them in a direct fashion so allah is not detached and objective sitting on the sidelines but rather interactive direct and dynamic The result of, and one of the most one of the strongest images of Surah Al Feel, which we talked about last time, one of the most powerful images, is the result of this interactive response by Allah is to render the people of the elephant, Ashab al Feel, those who have plotted against. Or those, who, uh, kate, or those who were in a state of kind, or those who were in state of plotting against Allah or against uh, uh, morality or against what's right, etc., etc. What was the end product of that is the powerful image that they have been re- produced to, the, the, like Asf Ma'kul, to um, um, digested pulp completely. Uh, broken down. We remember we even talked about Asma, It sometimes it is it said that it means the manure of cows or what happens to food as it goes through the digestive. So the rendering, and if when you think about it for a second, the, the, the taking of a human being and altering the state of this human being from the structured state that human beings are in, yet artificial, yet extremely artificial. In other words, structured, why? Because there are ears, there are eyes, there are mouth, there's a mouth, there are arms, legs. You look at the human being and you see structure, but yet artificial because of the fact that it can alter rather easily and rather simply. And the rendering of this human being into, into a completely different state, without structure and indistinct, yet completely ugly and completely corrupt and completely deconstructed. Such is also such is also possible with souls, the inner mechanisms of a human being. And that is why several commentators, particularly of the, the Sufi of them, have pointed out the fact that when the Quran says, when Allah says, المأكول, render them as if they digested or excreted pulp, it does not necessarily only mean physical. We of course it could mean physical, but it does not only mean physical, but it could also mean that the inner Mechanisms, and if you remember, we talked about the leader of the military leader of the uh, army uh, that was heading towards Mecca having escaped to Yemen and not dying as a digested pulp. But it doesn't matter because the inner mechanisms of the human being themselves could be left to a state of corruption that they are the equivalent of defecation. That's a very powerful image, a very powerful image. The other element that stands out is the centrality of Mecca and Quraysh. At a very superficial level, you say, well, you know, of course, the Kaaba is in Mecca. And so Allah is saying Mecca is protected. And, and that's, that's fine. Except we have several points that render this superficial, that render this interpretation not problematic, but rather superficial. Not problematic, but superficial. What? Is that during the reign of Yazid, for example, Yazid the son of Muawiyah, what happened to Mecca? It was, it was bombarded. How do we, and here, this is, this is the reason these states will always be banned in Saudi Arabia, when you think of Mecca today, administered as it is or controlled or occupied in whichever perspective you you wish by the Saudis, it is not in the most honorable state that you would want the holy shrine to be in. People dying every year from accidents, extremely inhumane and and degrading behavior being perpetuated all the time. Kings getting to build their, their castles on the top of mountains. Property or territory in fact historical sites being destroyed and even the the, the graves of companions and so on being eradicated under the claim that uh, We don't worship shrines, etc. etc So yes, there is a degree of protection to Mecca, but you would have to define protection in a very formalistic way In other words someone that would want to come in and literally just destroy the Kaaba take it apart and you say Anything short of that can happen. So, if I want, if, if people decide to, to, to go to the Kaaba and, and stand around it and defecate on it, then Allah will not protect it. But if you try to break it down, like Ashab al-Fil try to, then Allah would protect. It. But then, what meaning is that? What then should alert us that it is not that the surah is simply calling attention to the status of Mecca or the Kaaba as protected territory. Although one would have to say that very much like Abdul Muttalib's attitude, the the, the grandfather of the Prophet, he said this is Allah's business. In other words, if someone fires a nuclear missile tomorrow on Mecca and destroys it, and someone comes and says, See the Quran now is contradicted? I would say no. In fact, I see nothing in the Quran that promises to protect Mecca forever. All the Quran said is that at one time someone plotted against Mecca and Allah did something about it. But that does not necessarily mean that every time Allah will do something about it. So then what is the point if if these surahs are not there to tell us don't you worry about Mecca. You don't, have, don't Allah will always protect Mecca for you. And by that logic, by the way, Jerusalem should have been in the same situation. You have the fiqhi discourses on why Jerusalem fell to, fell to the Crusaders. Is plagued with these same types of issues. Because when Masjid al-Aqsa, al-Aqsa, the Aqsa Mosque, was conquered during the First Crusade, And then the the subsequent crusades, many theologians considered this to be to the extent that they refused to believe that it was conquered. Because in their mind, it had the status as Mecca and Medina, and Allah promised to protect it. How could Allah not protect where the Isra and Na'raj took place, etc., etc.? And then a response to that was Allah never promised to protect it. Never gave you an absolute promise to protect the holy sites of Islam. But like other things, the promise is contingent on what you do. Your own behavior. What was this uh, promise? written uh, from this surah alone? They 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 said that uh, the the idea is. For centuries, people basically interpreted it as anyone who dares move against the 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 holy shrines of Islam, the holy sites, that Allah will take care of them, will slaughter them. The first shock came when the Aqsa Mosque was conquered. But what about the long before that? The they they interpreted this as well. It was different because he didn't intend to hurt the Kaaba. Like he just wanted to kill everyone around him. But, I mean, you know that Yazid allowed for one week his soldiers to rape anyone they find in the streets of Mecca. And then it was not a very coherent position, and this is what would, which increased the rift between shias and Sunnis, is that Shia had said, you know, yeah, how could you possibly, how could your theology not be affected by something so egregious? How could you sit there and say, well, you know, this is an ishtihad and this is an ishtihad, etc., etc." But not only the, the Shia's, because you have the major rebellion by the time, actually, at the time, was not by the one by Hussein, or, or by Hassan, or by the Ali al-Bayt at all. It was the, the one by the son of Zubair. That was the major rebellion that nearly defeated the, Amo- the Amoans. Uh, his name? was uh, Muhammad ibn Salih. There's a point where you examine the, the dynamics of Islamic history and the way they affected Islamic theological positions and Islamic legal positions and Islamic theology and argument. And you, you, you find it all over the discourses in the fatawa literature that came out of Palestine and the sham. And there there are tons of these fatawa. By the way, till recently, the Israelis refused to give access to anyone to these manuscripts because there was so much about the the, the, the jurisprudence of the Crusades, The, the Islamic fiqh that was articulated in response to the Crusades. Well, most of that was housed in Palestine mm-hmm. in 1948. The Israelis, till the early 80s, refused would give permission to very few people to be allowed to examine these manuscripts. Recently, I hear that they've started liberating, and now you can actually get microfilms and so on. It would be interesting to see what's, I mean, eventually, they thought, well, it's not that dangerous. I mean. Um, particularly after i mean israel has been recognized de facto if not de jure and all the muslim countries don't i mean you can't really argue that any of the muslim countries care about destroying israel anymore um uh, so then then they sort of calm down about it But anyway, so it then if if the if it's not the formal status of, of the Kaaba and Mecca alone. Although it means it one would think that God would have a, a, a tendency towards protecting Mecca or the Kaaba, but again I emphasize that there is no assurance and no guarantee. Otherwise, you wouldn't have no way of explaining what, what the Saudis do in Mecca and have been doing in Mecca since the nineteen sixties. Because a lot of the historical sites that belong to the companions are gone forever by the Saudis. I mean, a lot of the graves. In fact, even the swimming, there was. There was a, I saw this because I visited in the early 80s, and it was there at the time. There was a swimming pool built by the companions outside Medina that they used to swim in. And the, the, about four years ago, the Saudis destroyed it. it. Did you see the story? Yeah, I mean, it's gone. No one, I mean, it's gone. No one can see it anymore. It? They, they believe it's haram to revere any historical sites because it's associating partners with God. So all, all this material is gone. It's amazing. I mean, it's amazing when you, you actually can sit there and imagine this is the place where the companions used to swim. And the you know, you, you read in, in, in the sources that Ali, and, uh, Ali used to raise other companions swimming. They have these, although it's, it wasn't that big, but I guess they would just keep going back and forth, back and forth, and then it's gone. When I went last time to Saudi Arabia, by the way, I asked asked about it, and they said, oh, it's gone now, you can't see it. They, they, They leveled it, and then they have eventual plans to build apartment buildings in the area or something like that. Then this should alert you. to The fact that there is a moral being conveyed here. And as we said, again, about the 30th part, that there are all types of moral issues that are conveyed in the 30th years of the Qur'an. And Quraysh, as happens all over the Qur'an, and the interactions with Mecca and Quraysh or Medina are used demonstratively. As time and time and time and time, you find in the Qur'an, throughout the Qur'an, that there is a situation that involves either Mecca or Medina and the Prophet and that this the, the the context of Mecca and Medina is used demonstratively for a point that is that far transcends the specific context of Mecca and Medina. Okay. So here the Ilafi Quraysh Ilafi. The vast majority said that Surah Quraysh, like Surah Al-Fil, is Mecca. With some reporting that it is Medina. Umar, who Abi ibn Ka'ab, insisted that Surah Quraysh is part of Surah al fil part of Al-Taraka yeah. Fa'ala Ramakaba al fil Umar um, and Abi ibn Ka'ab both thought that they're, they're basically the same surah, so you would get to uh, um, faj'alou uh, qafs al-ma'kul and then continue on the ila fabrication of and so however while the others found that the two are connected in the same way that al-mu'awwidhatayn are connected the qul a'udhu bir and qul a'udhu nas but did not think that they constitute the same surah but rather they are kinder surahs. Of course, it makes a difference of how many surahs you have in the Quran, right? Because if they're the same surah, then then they count as one. And we'll we'll come back to this issue and and see why this whole debate takes place. First, let's deal with this word ilaf. Ilaf comes from the root of alifa or ya'dafu. Or which means habit to get used to, to, be, to get accustomed to, to become comfortable with. And consequently, when we say Al al Ma'lufa means accustomed habit. And when we say what does that mean? means the the people have become content they have reconciled the differences and why is that because the effect of habit the effect of habit is what upon you is to calm you down to get you to be content you know you're in a state of instability as long as you don't have not developed habit as long as every moment brings something new so you don't have any any practices any established practices but once your life becomes has established patterns and practices then you settle down with them when you have too much of that you settle down so much that you become dead but when you have none of that there is so much instability that you're dead as well because every you cannot maintain enough amount of tranquility or stability over anything. So the verse, the surah, and I do believe that they're two separate surahs, although I do believe that they are connected, as the majority have argued. Now, as to the report from Omar and abi bin Ka'ar, I don't really know how to explain it, other than Omar has several of these disagreements. With the companions about certain things in the Quran. And I suspect Omar was not young when these reports come about. Him. And I suspect that Omar's memory towards especially the, the, the second half of khilafah, was starting to fail. Yeah. Would it be possible that these reports are, are fabricated? Fabricated and, and put in the no. It's possible, of course. I mean, and they're ahead, so there's always that possibility. Although, you know, my position with something like that is even assuming they are authentic, it doesn't pose a problem. I mean, but but yes, it's quite possible that that Omar never said something like that, and so on. Although, I'm not sure why would anyone have the incentive to fabricate something like this, because it doesn't make a difference in meaning. I mean, it is not central to a huge theological political debate, which then people would have an incentive to fabricate. It is just a technical point, whether it's two separate surahs or one. So, I mean, you'd have to be a very petty person to to, to want to fabricate something like this. And I think that's, that's a lot of times, like Orientalist literature, misses this point about incentive. People don't just fabricate for the sake of fabricating, they often fabricate about things they care about. Uh, anyway, okay. So then, the and then it starts out in this rather fascinating discourse. Now, the reason it, it's, it there is a point of interest here is because it starts out with li. Li. What does normally we say when we when we use this slam in this fashion likaza what do we normally mean by it for the reason for the reason consequently it must be connected to something else in other words when i say for the reason it can it implies that i'm con- that i'm going continuing from something before there's a connection and that is why umar ibn uh, al-abi bin kab said that al lam lam sila and it sila means a connecting lamb, and it connects what it connects the surah that is before it lam sila tarja' ila aw tarja' ila alam taraka fa'ala rabbuka bil ashab Others have argued, no, the lamb is sila, is connecting lamb, but it, it connects it to So let them worship the, 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 the god of this house. So the question is, is whether it connects something before it or it connects something after it. Now, some have argued that in Arabic, for it to connect something after it is unusual. But well, that's, a different, that's a different argument altogether. And whether it's right or not, probably not. But, okay. So, li li'ilaki Quraysh. Because Quraysh has become, what is it? What does he translate it again? Jamie, Here okay. it's secure. Yeah. Ah, okay. Well, how does he translate the first verse? So that the Quraysh might remain secure. Ah, wonderful. Okay, so all of this brings us very close, Muhammad Asad. It? This it's for the covenants of security and safeguard. Enjoy. It's it's all very close. Teaming security covenant, and we'll we'll see how that For or because Quraysh has become accustomed to put it in a word, has become stable. Has become constant. When we say has become secure, that is by implication. In other words, the stability, the existence of a constant is what gave Quraysh a security. It's as if Allah comes in and says, because Quraysh has been permitted to live in a state of stability. Have been permitted to exist, relying upon a custom and a practice that gives you a sense of predictability. When does instability, where's instability at its height? It's when there is no predictability. When you, you never know what's gonna happen the next minute, what's gonna happen tomorrow, what's going to happen, you need a large degree of faith to survive with that and still remain stable. Instability comes when, in fact, that is completely altered so that you feel that the past doesn't inform the future. In other words, whatever you've been accustomed to has nothing to do with what's going to happen tomorrow. There is no connection between the past and the future. And there's no connection, in fact, between the past, the present and the future. So that one minute, and in fact, psychological studies have have verified that, that for example, the people who tend to consume whatever they have the minute they have it. In other words, you you go give someone a chocolate bar and eat it right there on the spot, whether they're hungry or not, they will not keep it till later. It is because of a sense of insecurity and instability about tomorrow. They don't know if, if tomorrow they're gonna to be in position to finish the chocolate bar. They don't know if tomorrow someone's gonna to walk in and eat it for them. So they're used to, they're accustomed to simply relying on the moment that they are in. This is contrastability. But Quraysh has been allowed the na'ma, the blessing of habit, have been allowed the blessing of ulfa to become accustomed, or to, the na'ma, the blessing of i'tilaf to become accustomed to something. Then it answers itself and it says, إِلَافِهِم. Well, actually, before we move into that, I want to give you some, some f- further variants. Al Khalil bin Ahmad says there's another blessing in that when Allah says Li fi Allah is talking about that Quraysh has become accustomed to something else. It's special relationship with Allah. And that in itself is a source of security, stability, and safety as well. This sort of connection that you have with Allah, and think about it again. If you live your life feeling that you have a state of special proximity, special proximity and closeness to Allah, you have, you feel like you have a special relationship to Allah. That is a source of stability. And note here that often when we talk about friendship and familiarity, we use the same word and we say ulfa. Ulfa meaning to be friendly towards someone. And so here the ilafi Quraish could also mean, and in the opinion of Khalil ibn Ahmad, that the state of friendship that they assume or they think they have was Allah. This is it the same word as Allah yeah. Yes. Reconciled. Ikrima, by the way, had, had a variant reading that would change the meaning. He read it liya'lafa quraish. Uh, and in fact, he used, to, he used to attack people who read it li'ilaf. Attack them verbally. He used to consider them ignorant. That would change the meaning of it if it's liya'lafa quraish. Yeah, no, no. yeah, because it's it's futuristic. It says some people in Mecca read it. Illaf Quraysh. That's that's no difference in meaning, but that's just the different reading. Which then you would read it Illaf Quraysh. Quraysh again, I mean, I, I would not consider someone who, who read it Quraysh or who read it Illaf Quraysh. I would not consider it wrong in prayer however i do not accept it because both of them are ahadi reports although illaf quraish is not is is in one one of these twilight zones where it's between ahad and between Mutawatir. Uh, because we, we there are many reports that there were people in mecca who read it illaf Quraysh," but it doesn't make a difference in meaning it's just a difference in the in the in the uh, in the, uh, the way you pronounce it is it me Illaf laf or just Quraysh, <laughs> and so the knee is, is, is dropped. dropped. Okay, now, then it answers itself by saying, by saying, fihim, Li Quraysh, for the stability, for the security, for the repose that Quraysh, Quraysh was permitted. And then it comes to say, for the fact that they've become accustomed to the journey of the winter and the journey of the summer. How do they, they translate it? Their covenants covering journeys by winter and summer. Secured in the winter and summer journeys. Okay. And that is, of course, because Quraysh had two main business seasons one trip that they did in the winter, and one trip that they did in the summer. Interestingly, Ikrama, this is the same person who read it, the Quraysh, used to say that both journeys, the summer journey and the winter journey, were to Palestine. That this is where this is this is the same place they used to go to trade. However, other reports say that the, the, the summer journey was to Sham, nowadays Syria, and in the winter they used to go to Yemen. Uh, Ibn Abbas reports that the summer they used to be in Mecca and in the winter they used to be in Ta'if. But this was not because of business. This is because the Meccans, the rich Meccans, had their summer houses, their vacation houses in Ta'if. It's yeah, so they used to live, do business during the, the year in, uh, in, in Mecca. And then when the summer came, they would go in, into their summer homes in, in Ta'if which incidentally the, the, caused the, one of the major battles later on between Ta'if after Mecca converted to Islam. The one that went to war against Mecca was Ta'if, and the reason was for that was because they never got over the resentment from having the Meccans own their summer houses on Ta'if, as if Ta'if was there for their, for their merriment and pleasure. At any case, but it is quite clear that that the verse is calling upon them, the fact that they're accustomed for the winter and the summer the, 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 the summer journeys, the fact that they're accustomed, is it the journey that is important here? But there is no, it is the regularity. It is the stability, it is the predictability. It's like one of my sheikhs, Adelaide, Eid, used to say, if one would bring it from the level of the city to the level of the individual, then it would be the trip of the morning and the night. What trip to the morning and night? Go to, and come back. go to work and come back. That you become accustomed to go to work and accustomed to return from work. And this is what Allah is invoking upon you. There is a stability and predictability that is allowed you. That is permitted you by the regularity of being able to go. And if you tell yourself, but wait a minute, we're talking about a job, but it is talking about income, about the existence of stability in the production of living. al was allowed that a trip in the summer and a trip in the winter that constituted their livelihood. At the individual level, our livelihood is not a trip in the summer, some of us, I'm sure, are, but our livelihood is a trip that takes us to a place of work and a trip that brings us back from work. Okay. In this, is Sigat In fact, there is an Amr and and Domir. Sigat an imperative voice, a command voice. Let them worship the Lord of this house. Several commentators said that the existence of Damir here means Let them become accustomed to worshiping the Lord of this house. Any of the translations say that? Let them, therefore, worship the sustainment of this temple. Not, not just worship, but become accustomed. No? Let them adore the Lord of this house. Okay. This, this is a rather interesting point. Now, this is because, and in fact, if you do a, a, a close grammatical analysis, you will find that it is closer to meaning that let them become accustomed. To be read not simply as 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 but to be understood as let them become accustomed to worshiping the Lord of this house, moving on who did what for them, Fed them and made them made them safe. Now, several jurists in talking about Maqasid al-Shari'a, the objectives of Shari'a, said, if Allah tells Quraysh they should worship him, worship Allah, and cites two things as material for this covenant of worship. And the two things are what? Fear and hunger. Several jurists drew, made the conclusion, or reached the conclusion, that what are the most two important objectives for Sharia? Sustenance and protection. So that, that's the point when you do Rasul al fiqh on maqasid al-Sharia, you find often, they come and say, what are the two most important priorities for a Sharia to achieve? And they'll tell you, sustenance from hunger, that you feed the people, and that you render them safe from danger, secure from danger. And this is how they deduct it, among other things. Why? Because Allah comes and tells them, you owe me the ibadah. Why? Because I made you safe, and I made you fed, and I fed you. So that's one. Two, and here's often a point made by the Sufi, Sufi sources in particular. The existence of stability and regularity in life creates its antithesis in worship. In other words, the more stable and safe and secure you are, the greater the tendency for you to worship less, or as sincerely. And in fact, the more fed and secure you are, the more you tend to worship less. The more you are accustomed to safety, the less you are accustomed to worship. And here, the the, the Surah juxtaposes these two tensions and in a a very, uh, if you notice, dignified tone. It alerts you to this tension by simply coming and saying you've grown accustomed to safety and security reminding you in, in, in the Qur'an's typical matter-of-fact fashion as if it is reminding you of the most natural thing in the world because the Qur'an sometimes has, has extremely flowery language and at times it has very blunt style of coming in and just say it's like I come and tell you pick up after yourself I mean, no elaboration no great theory you know, nothing And it simply says, you've become accustomed to to safety and security, now worship. Some have even said that in the same way you find repose and safe and and repose and comfort and serenity and tranquility, this comes from the word ulfa. We said ulfa means what? To become friend, to become reconciled, to become safe, to become sort of in a tranquil state of happiness. That's what it means. In the same way that you desire to be like that, vis-a-vis your trips, who doesn't want to be in a state of complete tranquility as they do the morning trip and the evening trip? And in the same way you desire to be like that in terms of food and security, you must be like that in terms of your worship, in terms of your ibadah. That the objective, so to speak, is that you find in your the, the it, it, Allah becomes a part of your regular customary routine as essential to your existence as your morning trip and evening trip, or as the, the desire, the aching desire that you have to, to always have food and to always have a sense of security and safety. How about those then who dealt with the two surahs? One, is not that Quraysh here is used, being used demonstratively for countries and nations. It is as if Allah is is informing you. And countries and nations seek communities, societies, and here is this is this is in the level of siyas al shariah not al see, see how many levels this simple surah affects. We talked about al al shariah Sharia purposes of Sharia. We talked about al Aqaid. This is where the Sufis come in. Most—I mean, I don't like—not not all Sufis, in fact, because that's very unfair to Ibn Qayyim Juzay and, and Ibn Juzi and several others who are not Sufis but yet addressed. It. But it also influences theology, and it also influences Siyas al which is what uh, uh, the law of politics is. Countries—what is it that countries want the most? In fact, what is it that countries should focus upon the most? feeding people and providing a sense of safety and security. Now, in doing so, the country must be cogniz- cognizant of its obligation to create an atmosphere of work, of, of an atmosphere of ibadah, of allegiance to Allah. You know, the, 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 well, it talks about Quraysh is to society, community. It is as if when, when, for example, when it talks about yeah. the ummah and it says that they it oh you know it's sort of addressing the community. Or when it talks about um, uh, that they, that they conduct their affairs according to shura, it talks about community. Or when it talks about the ma'ruf almaghroof, the al-Munkar. I mean, constantly the Quran, Allah has this sort of way of calling upon the community to create mechanisms by which it it promotes certain values within the community, a certain attitude, a certain spirit, a certain demeanor within the community itself. And it is quite clear the, one of these, these attitudes or these demeanors is promoting the value of eradication of hunger and promoting the value of safety and security. And by the way, among con- contemporary thinkers, Ali Shariati <coughs> emphasized this because Ali Shariati, once having noticed that earlier sources, Ali Shariati wasn't a jurist. So he, he read sources quite late in his life. But once having read and noticed how often this point is emphasized by the pre-modern sources, he said, well, if the object of Islamic society is to eradicate hunger and to create a sense of safety and security, that itself is quite a moral value and organizing principle for society. Imagine if this society, for example, was structured around the notion of eradicating hunger and maximum safety and security. It would be a very, different, uh, play, a very different reality that we exist in than the one we do exist in, where the priorities and the resources of the state are being poured. Now, at the same time, this cannot be a materialistic in, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, target or a materialistic um, endeavor for its own sake. But it must be correlated with a general sense of Allah's role in this. And what is Allah's role in this? Is that you understand that Allah's dynamic position that he plays in Alam Taraqah al in the book of Ashab Al-Fih. In other words, your sense of security and your sense of, of safety, doesn't come from the existence of a custom or a tradition. And it is stupid to think that way. It really comes from, and doesn't even come from the fact that you have you have the trip in the summer and the trip in the winter. It comes from the fact that Allah's Allah takes an interest in protecting you, in sustaining you. In other words, that you acknowledge and understand. Allah's dynamic role, even at the social and it's social, socio-political level. That if Allah abandons you, and elsewhere in the Quran it says that in, in, in a very blunt fashion: if Allah abandons you, there is no other ally. That's it, it's God. But this this does it in a, in a very subtle fashion. Now, several of the commentators and jurists, among them al said, Why? Elsewhere in the Quran, it comes in very clearly and says, Right? That they forgot God so the Allah. So, in a very blunt fashion, it tells you the same thing, but in a very blunt fashion. So, why is it here that it is weaved in in this fashion? And since it's weaved in in this fashion because the centrality of, of, of protection from hunger and, and, and sense of security, the fact that you must be in a state of gratitude towards Allah and not take these things for granted. And then finally, that ultimately, this stability and security comes from Allah's dynamic involvement with you. And most important of all, is that this is true at a communal level and at an individual level as well. And that the way it is laid out is to as if, say, if you have the stability, If you don't have it, seek it. And if you have it, know that the corollary to it is is a co-extensive habit and custom of gratitude to Allah. And know ultimately that whatever stability you do have, and predictability you do have, comes from Allah's dynamic involvement in you. It says, in the Quran elsewhere, it says yeah, Allah would not Care about you except for your dua. If it hasn't been for your dua, in other words, if it hasn't been for the fact that you have that dynamic, interactive process, Allah wouldn't care about you. You would be completely marginal to Allah. Now, one more point. Ibn Arabi, in his, and Ibn Arabi, people haven't appreciated that many of his insights on the Quran are fascinating says the al feel at the level of community and society could be the feel. In other words, the elephant that is invading you. But what if the elephant doesn't exist externally at all, but is actually inside of you? In other words, emphasizes, what if the danger, the external danger against your sense of security is nothing more than you? What if it is you that attacks your own security? What if it is you that allows your doubts and suspicions and apprehensions and tensions to eradicate the sense of security that Allah could give you by taking, by fighting the symbolic embodiment of the divine inside of you. In other words, the, what are the elephants going to do? They're going to destroy to the Kaaba. What if inside of you, and Ibn Harabi believe very much that inside of you is a core that is divine and, and pure, that Allah puts on you, and then you could corrupt and destroy through your own foolishness and your ignorance and so on and so forth and what if you are marching with your own elephants against that core to destroy it and what will happen ultimately is you will be rendered such as rendered into Asf nakul you become the moral equivalent of defecated pulp it's very powerful imagery this 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 is a this is a summary of the discourses and the literature around these two surahs, from the jurisprudential to the political, to the theological, to the spiritual Sufi discourses. And maybe I should, one of the things is truly, is there is no tafsir. The closest one is a Razas, but it's not complete. There is no tafsir that to combine all of these discourses in one place. I mean, at least no Tafsir that is printed because it is possible for us to find the Tafsir in, in manuscript. I haven't read one, but uh, because you never know what exists in manuscript. There are just hundreds and hundreds. But in the, in the material that is available, no one has com- attempted to combine the various discourses of the legal and the political and the theological and the spiritual and, and bring the, sort of present them all like a like you 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 show a garden from the Islamic civilization. This actually this point is is, is argued by by several. I mean Ibn Arabi for for one, uh, Ibn Abid Dunya uh, talked about it as well. In that the same idea of levels of meaning. That at the first level, it's talking to courage simply. Say Quraysh, why don't you behave, you losers? You know don't you know that Allah? But the, as you get to deeper and remember we talked about the levels of the Quran and that's 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 exactly the the, the whole point is that once you get at each level serves a certain I mean it's more uh, relevant in a certain historical epoch because at the time of the of the Prophet especially if these first surahs are revealed in Mecca is talking to who? Just simply Quran I should say, you know behave. And this is the, the closest meaning. But what Imra Arabi says, which is quite fascinating, is that at his time, this is no longer the closest meaning. That now a different variant level of, the, of, of meaning is actually the closest and the most relevant. Because in his view, it's like, who cares about Quraysh? And he says this in the Futuhat clearly. He says, true, I received my Futuhat in Mecca. But this has nothing to do with Quraysh. This had to do with Mecca, and so the tribe of Quraysh itself. And remember, Ibn Harbi was not a Quraysh; and was not even an Arab. And so he is quite keen about telling you that, you know, if these, and if these, and, uh, and he is also aware that the Arabs often cited the position of Christ to hold themselves as superior to others. But Ibn Harbi was neither Arab nor nor from Quraysh. He was Persian, and so he, he comes out and he says, I mean, actually, some say he was from Tajikistan as well, so I don't know, I'm not sure what you, but he comes out and he says, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, those who try to use this as a position of Quraysh, this, how special the position of Quraysh is, and hence the position of Arabs are, do, do not reach any level of meaning, because or, or I'm sorry, reached only the level of meaning that was the most superficial, that was thrown as a bone to Quraysh to get them to convert. Because they were so stupid, they needed to sort of be pampered a bit. But then beyond that, no relevance. I mean, it's fascinating material, yeah. I'm sorry, maybe it's like, question, how do you compare the tone between this combination of sources and this sort of to what? this tone is very matter of fact, very melancholy, very sort of. It is like, um, like in the Quran. Tabat yada watab. It's 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 in the, It's sort of this type of tone. It's like I come to you and say. It's not angry, but it is very firm and nearly fiery. It's just like a... Ruined is Abu Lahab and his wife as well. And then it's... but it's, You can sense the emotion. This one is it's a different tone altogether. This one is very melancholy. It's like more a tone of wisdom, a tone of reflection. And it says, I can talk to you. Haven't you seen... What God has done to the people of the elephant? Don't you know what happens if you don't maintain habit of... I mean, it's very... And it's even... You can even feel the the, the voice while Tabat Yada abi Lahab is threatening. And it, you cringe in fear. This one, the sense of worry creeps upon you. It's sort of like you hear it if you're hearing it for the first time, it's like, okay. And then it's it's as if it's designed to strike you 10 hours later, where you start saying, uh-oh, you know. And much of the Quran, is the tonality is designed in that fashion, either for immediate impact or long-term impact or short-term impact. And it is one of the most fascinating things about the, the, the stylings, the various tonalities and stylings of the Quran.